Um, the book of Mark is often overlooked. And people are really familiar with the Gospel of John. And Matthew really gets our attention. Matthew and Luke, especially during the Christmas seasons. But often, the book of the book of Mark is is overlooked. If you were to if you were to pick a verse from the book of Mark, if someone said, "Give me a verse from the book of Mark," what would you say? Case in point, right? It's often overlooked, and and yet they tell us that. Mark was probably the first gospel that was written. So, it's interesting. It was the first gospel that was written. And much of Mark is just Peter telling Mark what happened and Mark, under the inspiration of God, recording it. Peter and Mark were very, very close. And um, that's why you will find the word um, immediately, that word, in the book of Mark many times. And the book of Mark is a book of action. Peter was impulsive. Mark was his good friend and really kind of like his son. The scripture tells us, and um, Mark is the shortest of the Gospels, and we will be studying the book of Mark because we want to see Jesus. As I was praying about, we went through the minor prophets, okay, God, what do you want us to do? And, and we really need to focus on Jesus, and God's led us to this study of the book of Mark. So, in Acts chapter 12, just to give you some background here, Peter is locked up in prison. The church is praying that God would have mercy on him. And miraculously, an angel of the Lord comes to prison and frees Peter and takes him out. And he thinks it's a dream and not really happening until he's standing out in the street. And he realized, whoa, this is real. And you can read that in the first part of Acts chapter 12. And in verse 11 of chapter 12, when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. So right there is the first reference that we have to John Mark, or we'll be referring to him as Mark. So his house was a place that believers gathered and was known for gathering for prayer. And you may remember the account, Peter knocked on the door and a young girl went to the door and saw it was Peter, but she didn't let him in. 
she ran back and said, Our prayers are answered. Peter's been set free. Poor Peter's standing out there probably thinking, ah, They found out I'm out. They're going to be after me. And, and like true people of faith, they said, Oh, Peter's not out there. You must be seeing things. Aren't we that way? When God answers prayer, we sometimes think, well, that couldn't have happened. And yet, that's exactly what happened. So, that's the first account that we have of John Mark and the connection with Peter, the early church. They saw miraculous working of God in, in that instance. So, look down in verse 25 of Acts chapter 12. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. So they're returning from their first missionary. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, returned to Jerusalem And as they were there, they took with them for their missionary journey, John Mark. So they saw something in him, and they were impressed, and they certainly felt he could be beneficial to us, not just to us, but to the work of God. God was doing a work in his life, so they took him with them. On their missionary journey. Look in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. Now, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So, this is John Mark, who they took with him. They came on their journey. And they came to Perga, and it doesn't tell us. But it tells us this, John Mark said, I'm done, I'm going back home. That's all it tells us right there. But turn over to Acts chapter 15 and verse 36. They have completed their missionary journey. So, Paul and Barnabas took John Mark with them on their missionary journey. Halfway through, or partway through, John Mark went back home, abandoned the mission, and now Paul and Barnabas are back in Jerusalem, and in verse 36 of Acts 15, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul said, let's go back, let's visit, see how they're doing, encourage them in the faith. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia, and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they departed one from another, Paul and Barnabas, 
And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So, here's two godly men, and they're dealing with a young man, John Mark, who went on one journey and bailed halfway through, and they're getting ready to go again, and Barnabas says, let's take John. And Paul said, not on your life. I am not taking him with me. There's no way. And and the words that are used here, the contention was so sharp. They, they both dug in their heels. The contention was so sharp. And nowhere in Scripture does it ever give us in any indication who was right and who was wrong in the sense of that situation right there. But it was so sharp that it ended up, this was the first first church split, if you please, all right? But it really wasn't a church split. It was a ministry split. So Barnabas said, I don't care. I am taking John Mark. Kind of probably helped that John Mark was his cousin, okay? You know, blood runs thicker than anything else, all right? But Barnabas... If you know your scripture, Barnabas, the word that they attach to Barnabas is the encourager. Barnabas' life was one that provided encouragement, not just in John Mark. Throughout his life, he was a great encourager. Paul said, I don't care. You can take him. I don't care. I'll get somebody else to go with me. And he got Silas. And, and God blessed the work of Paul and Silas. We read about that in Acts 16 and further. And God blessed the work of Barnabas and Mark. And so you look at that and you think, okay, what's up with Mark? Is he a problem or is he profitable? And... Right at this stage, you look at it, and there are two diametrically opposed opinions about John Mark. Now, we'll give the rest of the story in just a moment, but I want to make application of John Mark's life before the book of Mark. And first thing you have to realize, where there are people, there are problems. We would love, everybody would love to have a day where you could live a day without any problems. I, I hate to destroy your expectations And some of you are already thinking, well, where there's people, there are problems. If I could just go to a mountain somewhere by myself, by a nice mountain stream, have a cabin there with a fire going, and just be there by myself. No, no matter where you go, there you are. 
So there's a people there. And we are our own biggest problem. But when you, when you bring two people who I am my own biggest problem and you are your own biggest problem and you bring us together, that's multiplication. And it creates problems. And the mission in life is to not navigate our way through life so that there's never a problem. God equips us how to respond to the problems and grow from them. I like to attribute it to Babe Ruth. I'm not sure where it originated, but the old saying, no matter where you go, there you are. And we take our problems with us. And people love to say, um, you know, if I could just get a fresh start, if I could... We have to realize the problems are in us. When we lived in Montana, I can't tell you how many people, it's probably still happening, are moving out west and they're leaving their problems behind in Illinois and Iowa and Boston And they're going to start all over again. And many of them are going to live off the land. And and there was a a section of land that I'd hate to think how many times they sold that land to these poor fools that came out and thought, oh, I can buy this land. They found out you can't grow crops on rocks, okay? But they'd come out and... It wasn't long. We, we had them in our church even. That they found out the problems weren't in Illinois. The problems were in my heart. And you can't avoid problems. But it's, it's understanding that wherever there are people and wherever I am, there will be problems because of our sin nature. By nature, we are selfish, we are stubborn, and we are proud. And by nature, the perfect ideal in our minds would be a day where everybody serves us. Oh, you're in a hurry to get through the checkout? Gladly, I'll let you go through. Oh, you want that parking spot? Oh, you want Belgium waffles with blueberries and strawberries for breakfast? I'd be so happy to serve you. Oh, we we want to be served. And so you put people that want their own way. I mean, it starts from a kid, you know. Before they can even talk, they know what they want and they know, you know, and stomp their feet and fall on the ground and beat their head and, and they show you they're your child. Stubborn, self-willed, and it's in us. That's the problem. So, there were problems and, and that's the great thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't gloss over things. It paints a true picture of what even Christians are like. And these 
Paul we're talking about and Barnabas. I mean, they're giants of the faith. And here they are in a major contention. So, we understand, first application, where there are people, there are problems. But secondly, from Mark's perspective, understanding Mark, for whatever reason, he may have been homesick, it may have been grueling, the the rigors of the missionary journey, whatever it was, I mean... There came a point where he had to say to Paul and Barnabas, I'm not going on. I'm going back home. And he had to know in his own heart, I failed them. I thought I could do this, but I failed. But we learn from Mark's life that failure is not final. Mark was a failure. Mark was a quitter. He was rejected by Paul. And and Paul said, no, in essence, I don't want that loser with me. I am not going to drag him along and have to give my attention to... Meeting his needs? No, I'm not going to. But turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. So Paul is writing to the believers at Colossae. And notice verse 10. He's wrapping up the letter, giving some conclusions, greetings. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, this is Paul writing, I'm in prison with Aristarchus. He greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. So, we fast forward. Here's Paul. And he's writing a letter to Colossae. And he says, I'm sending greetings. And these greetings are coming from me and Aristarchus and John Mark. Somewhere along the line, there was a reconciliation. Somewhere along the line, Mark was identified as, in Paul's mind, he is a servant of God and he can be helpful and beneficial. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. And verse 11, Paul is writing this letter from prison, in prison because of preaching the gospel. He is coming to the end of his life. He knows that um, he will be martyred. Look at verse 9. I said verse 11, but 2 Timothy 4, 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. He's writing to Timothy 
For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Cretans to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Then notice, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. What a statement. Paul dug in his heels. I am not taking Mark. He is not going with me. I don't want anything to do with him. And now he says, bring Mark. Because he is profitable. He is useful for the ministry. I mean, this is the quitter. This is the one that turned back. And now he's profitable for the ministry. And God uses him to record one of the Gospels. It ought to speak volumes to us. Because we all have things in our past that identify us as failing. As failures. And John Mark ought to be one that says, man... He quit. He dropped the ball. And isn't it interesting, Peter, who had a profound impact on John Mark's life, denied Christ three times. You talk about failure. They are a, they are a stereo message to us that says failure is not final in Christ. And that there are not just second chances. There are many chances in Christ. And that is that is the blessing for all of us. Satan would love to have us focus on what is behind us. The the old peanuts comic strip Linus said, "Maybe we should think about only today." Charlie Brown said, "Nope. That's giving up." I'm still hoping yesterday will get better. And there's people that keep looking in the past, hoping yesterday will get better, hoping, how can I undo? No, you can't. And God is able to take our failure and use it in our lives, and He's able to work to bring glory. So, failure is not final. What we also learn from this is that God gifts and uses people in different ways. The Apostle Paul was a hard-driving, type-A personality, cut-and-dried type of character. This is the way it is, and this is what we've got to do. He was all in on everything. When he was persecuting Christians, he was all in. And when he was serving Christ, he was all in. And here's Paul, and he said, nope, he's a quitter. I am not taking him with me, and that's it. Barnabas, as we mentioned, was an encourager. He saw the potential in Mark and was committed to developing it. And, and in understanding, God uses different gifts, different personalities, different circumstances 
to accomplish His purposes. Someone used an analogy of a carpenter's tools and they held the conference and uh, Brother Hammer was presiding over the conference and during the conference several suggested that maybe he should leave because he's a little loud. And Brother Hammer said, well then, if I have to leave, I think Brother Screw needs to go too because you have to turn him around and around and around to accomplish anything with him. Well, Brother Screw spoke up and said, well, I don't mind, but if I have to leave, then Brother Plain needs to leave too. All his work is on the surface. He has no depth to him at all. He is just paper thin. Well, he spoke up and said, wait a minute here. You're overlooking Mr. Tape Measure. He needs to go too then. Because all he does is measure folks up and determine who's right. Who does he think he is? He needs to go. Well, Brother Tape Measure, as you imagine, he complained about Brother Sandpaper. You know what he did. He's rough, and he's always rubbing people the wrong way. And in the midst of that, the carpenter of Nazareth walked in and started to work. And he used every one of those tools. You know what we do? We as tape measures get together and have our tape measure convention. And boy, we're measuring everything up. And the sandpaper group gets together and rubs people the wrong way. And yeah, good job. You really, man, you... And the hammer... To a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And they just go around. It's like playing whack-a-mole, you know. Go around, boom, boom. God has gifted all of us in different areas. And there are times we need the sandpaper that rubs us and gets the rough edges off us. And there is a place for Paul's. And there is a place for Barnabas's. And we need to value the difference. And in the midst of the problems, God uses people and He uses them in different ways. And we need to value the differences. Also, God wants to use problems for His glory. You think of this. This, Paul and Barnabas, was a major issue. And yet, God took it. Who's right and wrong? I don't know. God took it and used it for His glory. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. A very familiar verse. And we know that all things, even Paul and Barnabas, 
work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But read the next verse. For whom God did foreknow, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he says, all these things, regardless of what happens in your life, God is able to make them work together for good. And he goes on and tells us what is the good. The good is making us more like Christ. So he's allowing problems that come into our life. And God says, I can take that. I can use that in your life and in others' lives to teach you my character to make you more like me. So, he has a way of producing that in our lives. We just sang, oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. He knows the end of each path that I take. And when I am tried and purified, I shall come forth as gold. God never moves without purpose or plan when trying a servant or molding a man. And so we say, I want the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, good. Do you really? Yeah, I really do. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, we'll start right at the top, is love. Where do you learn love? In unlovely situations. When God brings an unlovely person into your life is the greatest opportunity you have to show love. And it's going to show you I don't have it. I need it. God God uses these opportunities to show us His power And he wants to use the problems for his glory that he's at work in our life. Now, I need to quickly move on, but number five, humility is the way to usefulness and success. I don't know how it happened. We don't have the details in the Bible, but somewhere along the line, Paul came to the point and changed his mind about John Mark. He was working with him. Another time he said, bring him to me because he is profitable for the ministry. And somewhere along the line, he said, I was wrong about John Mark. Humility is the way to usefulness and success. And humility begins by us admitting, I am wrong. Any, the road to usefulness and success begins by us saying, I have sinned. I am wrong. And I need forgiveness only possible Through Jesus Christ. Jesus, what a friend of sinners. Jesus, lover of my soul. He saves me. When does He save us? When we humble ourselves and say, I am a sinner separated from you. I am humbling myself. I admit I am wrong. 
And that's just the beginning through the rest of our life. It is, it is recognizing that. And when a man finally recognizes that he is a rebel against God and he lays down his rebel arms and demonstrates his humility in turning from sin to Christ, then God is able to bless. To be saved, a man must realize he has nothing in himself to commend himself to God and that he is totally bankrupt before God, unable to do anything about my huge debt of sin. That's humbling. And then to cry out to Jesus Christ for mercy, understanding Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. The only change in our life that will ultimately be for our good and God's glory always begins with humility. And in John Mark's account, there was humility of spirit. There are, there are people that took Paul's position in life and they never, ever changed their mind. And they never would have restored, they never would have said he's profitable they never would have done that because I've made up my mind, you can't, you can't change it. Humility begins with admitting our wrong and humility continues as we submit to God and His ways. Paul's way was, I don't want Him. God later worked and as Jesus did, Submitting to God's way, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Proverbs says, there's a way that seems right unto a man. We, it makes sense in our mind. We can justify it. We can rationalize it. We can get other people to agree with it, but it violates, it's not God's will. It seems right unto a man, but it ends in the ways of death. That's why he said in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean to your own understanding. It will take you astray. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He'll bring it to pass. Over and over again, humility comes back and says, this is what I want to do, or this is what I think I ought to do, but this is what you tell me to do, so nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Peter, the great fisherman, been fishing all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus, what's he know about fishing? Comes along, meets them as they're coming in, and he says, cast your nets on the other side. And Peter said, hey, we have been fishing all night and we didn't catch anything and he caught himself. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Nevertheless, at your word, I will do it. And he did. And I, I can imagine Peter because I'd be the same way. This is a waste of time throwing his nets over there. We'll show him. I know. I just pulled these nets up. There's no fish. They couldn't pull the nets up, all the fish. 
And humility is saying, that doesn't make sense to me, but I don't see the big picture. If that's what you want, God, then that's what I'll do. Humility continues as we submit to God and His ways. And then humility prospers as we serve others. Paul said over and over again, in essence, don't look on your own things, but look on the needs of others. And in John Mark's life, he was looking on his own things and he quit. But then he changed his heart and mind. God worked in his heart and mind. And he became a servant to others. He was profitable to Paul in the ministry. He was profitable to the church at Colossae. He was a blessing. Humility is not something in an end in itself. Humility, when it's really in our lives, will affect other people's lives. We will be servants to others. Even as Christ said, I did not come to be served but I came to give my life as a servant, as a ransom for all. There's so much we can learn from John Mark's life and and really the application in our life, regardless of what's behind you, regardless of the failure, God is able to take all of that and make it work together for good. But don't limit God by saying, nope, you can't be in my life and you can't. God uses different people that maybe rub us the wrong way, but He's using them to accomplish His purpose, to glorify His name through our life. And it's not just to make us like Christ so that we can say, look at me. I'm, I'm pretty good. No, to be like Christ, it's to go serve others. That's what Christ did. Christ didn't strut His stuff. He didn't say, look how good I am. He served others. And that's what God wants to send every one of us out as servants of His. Even as John Mark. Heavenly Father, I pray that hearts would be encouraged by what You've done in John's life, John Mark what You did through Barnabas, what You did through Paul, and Lord, that we could see what You're doing in our lives. And I pray that there would be an ongoing work of Your Spirit that would reach others. Lord, perhaps there's some listening today who have never really humbled themselves and said, I am wrong. I am a sinner. I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that they would see that's the first step of having your blessing, of knowing your joy, of walking in your power. And then, Lord, for every believer here, I pray that we really would welcome what You bring into our lives, who You bring into our lives, with the ultimate purpose of being used of You to make a difference in encouraging, helping, strengthening other people as we are servants of You. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.